This is the War on 94 Sports Podcast, your weekly dose of everything Chicago and Milwaukee sports. Now, here are your hosts, Frank Fernandez and Evan Schleinser. What's up, everybody, and welcome back. Another episode of the War on 94 podcast is here. It's Frank with Evan, here to bring you everything in the world of Chicago and Milwaukee sports. Evan, how you feeling? I think I've finally stopped sweating. I walked inside like an hour and 45 minutes ago, and I think I've finally like have come back to normal human temperature. Yeah. So... Small victories over here. It's 90, what did I tell you, 95 still at 745 mm-hmm. at night here. And it was even hotter than that today. And I think you had the same in Chicago. Yep, 96 as we speak. It's been a scorcher. It's been brutal. I got a coworker, shout out to Harper, does not own a pair of shorts that is not basketball shorts. So he's had to wear jeans to work the last two days. <laughs> oh, no. The poor kid just needs to help himself out. Shout out Doesn't to Harper. Mean- Somebody, Does he have a lighter pair of chinos or something? No, somebody buy that kid some oh some uh, get that kid some Coles cash and get his ass there to pick up some you know some seven inch inseams or something like that. I mean, yeah, for, you're in for, Chicago. How for hard goodness' sake, pair of shorts. I'm, you're telling me, <laughs> yeah, but brutal weather these last couple of days. Brutal. And then finally, by the time the weekend comes around, when you'd really want it to be hot, give me a, a, a cool sixty six. You're in the city of Chicago, so welcome to the Midwest. Gorgeous, gorgeous lake walking weather, right? Yes, we'd love to see it. I mean, let's not waste any more time, as we love to do on here. Let's get into it. We'll start with the best thing we saw this week. How about you get us going? Yeah, so I think we talked about part one of this a few weeks ago. I think you actually had it as your best thing. Maybe I'm misremembering, but I think this is the Jock Peterson, Tommy Pham beef. Yes. And the whole saga played out and it made Tommy Pham look very, very insecure or whatever you want to call basically a fight, you know, slapped him in real life after like months after a league ended where apparently Pham thought he was cheating by uh, putting players in, you know, stashing players in the IR, which I don't I mean, I've played fantasy football and you have too. I know like that's a fairly common move. I think the mm-hmm. world has decided it's not cheating. So <laughs> the Giants this in this weekend series wore shirts in batting practice. Uh, some of the players and it's from uh, a fantasy football brand or company. You know, they do media publications and have some merchandise. It's in Giants colors and it says fantasy football 101 stashing players on their IR isn't cheating black shirt with orange lettering and a bunch of them were wearing it. And some Twitter accounts got a hold of it. Some baseball ones, even field Yates who obviously works for ESPN on the football side of things. He tweeted it out and he said, missed this yesterday. And you know, the giants read showed up to their game yesterday with shirts that read this classic <laughs> that, that apparently, you know, Tommy fam is not one to let, let jokes die without him getting a say. And, you know, I, I understand they're at his expense kind of, but I think it'd be better if he just stayed quiet, but he did not. He replied to him on Twitter, he replied to field on Twitter said, 
they really played themselves because now all I have to do is release the IR rules in the league and the text how I told Jock I was going to pimp slap him for cheating. And then as a follow-up to that, some fan quote tweeted him and said, God damn, I'm glad this clown didn't get re-signed by the Padres. Not good on or off the field. And he replied to that and said, this may hurt your feelings, but a lot of guys on that team and staff actually like me. So <laughs> shout out Tommy Pham for going all well actually on Twitter to people who don't really even can deal with him on a day-to-day basis. Again, all over a fantasy football league. If you, and also, if you didn't see from the ESPN broadcast, they asked Trout about it because he was the mic'd up player for the Sunday Night Baseball game. They like asked him like about fantasy football in general. Yes. They weren't going to go into the specifics of the league, and he started laughing. But then they kind of like delved into it a little bit, and he basically was like, "I'm not commissioner anymore." <laughs> He's like, "I'm over it." But just a funny, a funny feud that continues to play out. And I don't know if Fam thinks he makes himself look better by doing all this, but I, I'm pretty sure he's has come out the worst of all of this. Like, dude, just let it die. It's okay. I think he even posted too, because he has a screenshot from, I don't know if it's the same league or a different one, but from January 3rd, he has a screenshot of his league where he won. So it's not even like yeah, he lost the league. Like he, he was champion. Honestly, it's kind of embarrassing that it's gotten this far. And that like when this first came out that he slapped Jock Peterson, I swore it was like, some kind of inside thing or like some joke. But then when it turned out that it was like 100% real and like he was actually like upset with him and all this stuff, it's like, dude, it's fantasy football. Like as like Kayla likes to call it imaginary football. Like this is, this is all, obviously I know it's high stakes and like people are making a lot of money on this kind of thing, but it's like, you are a fucking professional athlete. Like you have more important things to worry about than your fantasy football uh, it's just so goofy like and tommy fam like you said has definitely come out the worst of all of this yeah well and and you want to play it's a fun game they play on the the talking baseball podcast guessing a guy's career earnings you know they talk about you right they're like they mentioned it's a high stakes league but he made you know a thousand i think it was a thousand plus dollar buy-in maybe more sure he's made 24 million across nine seasons of professional play i think you can afford to give I up think, a thousand like yeah i think you're pretty set is, this is child's play to you. Like yeah. this should not be concerning you, especially, I mean, he's had plenty of stuff off the field too. Remember there was a whole you know, concern if he'd even come back to baseball. Cause one off season, unfortunately he got shot in his home country. I think you remember that. Oh my God. I forgot about that. Yeah. And so like when you've been through real conflicts like that, like this should be fake football should, should just not be a high level. Concern. Yeah. Even if you, <laughs> even if you throw thousands of dollars on it, it should not be this big of a deal. <laughs> yeah yeah very strange very strange story that keeps getting stranger speaking of strange stories my best thing i saw this week uh it happened on tuesday night uh Concacaf nations league for those who are unaware of what Concacaf is it is the federation for the north american central american and caribbean uh nations in soccer they all play each other the, the this was the second iteration of this tournament the Na- the the nations league last year the u.s won it we talked about it last year that great final between the u.s and mexico and now we're into the second year has more eyes on it the u.s in preparation for the world cup they've played the first two group games they crushed grenada as you would think 
in the first round, first match, and then they went on the road to El Salvador, and it's no cakewalk. If you've ever watched a game in CONCACAF, like things happen that don't happen in normal high-level soccer like you you don't see this kind of thing really in europe you don't really see south america a little bit asia a little bit but like Concacaf is a whole different beast because the level of i guess like for lack of a better term like facilities and like the disparity between the facilities with these nations is like a little jarring at times <laughs> so going into el salvador to play uh, the U.S. brought a squad that you might like. You might see ten out of the eleven guys who played last night on that starting lineup starting in the World Cup. Like they came in and it, they're using this as like it's pretty much you know warm ups for for the World Cup in in November and December. So they come in, have always sort of struggled in Central America, and played in a game that looked like it was being played on a high school field. Yeah, mud, rain, all over the field, um, crazy conditions. The U.S. was wearing all white. They were caked in mud by the end of the game, and they fought tooth and nail to eke out a last-second draw with, with El Salvador. Jordan Morris, a guy who's coming off two separate ACL injuries in a row, playing on this patchy muddy field in el salvador scored the the goal that that led to the draw there were double red cards one on each side a near brawl broke out in the middle of the field in like the 75th minute tyler adams dragged an el salvadorian defender down by the back by his shirt collar led to a lot of pushing and shoving it was a wild affair and if any and and like I said, if you've watched a CONCACAF World Cup qualifier, a Nations League, like it it was very CONCACAF. Like no VAR, so you're just kind of the referee is flying by the seat of their pants, making questionable calls. You're like, what, like who is whose side is this referee on? Like is someone paying this guy under the table? Like you don't know. Like I mean, it's it's just it's a whole just. It's just part of the whole CONCACAF experience, like seeing the U.S. play in these in these countries. The fans are full throat, like Wild. losing their minds. Absolutely insane. There's armed police with riot shields and helmets in full gear. It is just it's the best. It was a super fun game. Disappointing, like result, I guess, like but. I mean, fun regardless and a draw on the road in El Salvador, like you'll take that nine times out of 10. So super fun game. If you have a chance to look at the highlights or even pictures from the game, like it looked, it, I feel like a lot of these guys, it harkened back to their days of like growing up playing like CYO. Like, honestly, it was, it but was just high school soccer. Even. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's, it's like nothing you see on a professional field. Yeah, it, it's watching some of the international soccer is the best, especially like as you said, these these smaller countries. I find myself watching, in addition to Concacaf, a lot of the uh, Conmebol, which is the South American Federation. Mm-hmm. And one of my favorite stadiums in that setup is uh, is Peru, I believe it is. 
because their stadium is at like 8,000 feet in the Andes Mountains. Like it's so <laughs> high up. Oh and they're, everyone from Peru is just used to it. But like you bring the Chilean team or the Argentinian team as, as much as they train and as fit as they are, like there is no getting used to that air. You're playing like a mile and a half in the sky. And Seriously. It's, like, <laughs> it's just like that air is different air up there. Yeah. And it's the same thing. Like there's just these grass pitches, these old stadiums, like – guys just you know it is it, truly as you said I, like a completely different experience you like there's no way this is federation soccer this doesn't this, right this doesn't make sense <laughs> yeah and it's and it's funny too because it's like well then you they come play in the united states we're playing in below freezing weather hypothermia yeah. is a very real you know possibility in some of those games we watched during world cup qualifying like or the game if you remember a couple of years ago the Snow Classico, it was held in Colorado. Oh One of the, the most US, iconic games in history. Yeah, U.S. against Costa Rica in a whiteout conditions. Like so, we can complain all we want about the dirty, you know, the dirt fields in in El Salvador, but you know they'll they'll complain right back with the with the snow covered pitch in Colorado or the below freezing temperatures in Minnesota or whatever else. So. Final game for the U.S. before September when they'll have two final qual- or, uh, warm-ups before the World Cup. So it's getting closer and closer. We're, we're counting down in only in only months now instead of years, which is really exciting. To uh, I love World Cup season. I know. It's the best. now, And then the, f- the field is totally set, too. Completely set. The field is totally set. And I was reading yep. it's going to be weird because all the leagues are going to have like a, um, an international pause. Yeah, like a month long Obviously. pause. Yeah, so you're gonna ha- you're, it's gonna be like sixteen games in the Premier League schedule, and then just a month long break. Which actually, it, for players who aren't on the World Cup squad, might be a welcome thing. And I I would gander it might become a thing. The Bundesliga already does it. There's a lot of leagues that do an international break or a winter break, mm-hmm. and maybe not f- full month, but at least two or three weeks. Yeah. And, I know Boxing Day is a hard thing to weed out of. Like that's a, that's like as almost big as football on Thanksgiving, or that is as big as football on Thanksgiving right. here in the U.S. But I don't know. I would be curious to see if what some of the players how this how some of them react to it, who are yeah, not going to the World Cup. Yeah, I can't wait. I love the World Cup. Same. It, it which, would normally be going on right now, which is unfortunate, but it we, we'll take it. We'll take it. We we'll get, get we'll it, get yeah. soccer in the win, in the dead of winter. That's that's a pretty awesome thing. Exactly. Which, by the way, I was actually wrong. The so it's. It is Peru. I was correct about that. It, it's the stadium that's in the capital city. It's the Stadio Nacional in uh, Lima, Peru. Mm. Or Lima, Peru, I guess, if you're pronouncing it properly. Dumbass. It is not 8,000 feet. It is 9,416 feet. Wow. Almost two miles. <laughs> is, <laughs> that is rarefied air up there. <laughs> yeah, that is crazy. Wow. So Talk about home field advantage. Uh, yeah, exactly. Like home field advantage. You're, you're absolutely right. Yeah. All right, let's move on here to uh, – we'll go into our team that we've been putting together on both the Cubs and Brewers side for the last uh, – at this point, I think it's been over a couple months. We're, we're putting together our, our fantasy teams, as everyone knows, from the last 20 years. One player per year, only one position you know, per team, and we'll get right into it. We left off last week. You had Prince Fielder. I had Matt Merton. Talk about <laughs> a disparity in terms of 
legend status for both of these teams. I'm going to start it off. So I will a little housekeeping. I had a mistake in my roster. I was getting ready to talk about Reed Johnson off my bench. <laughs> if anyone, if any Cubs fans remember him, I thought he was on the team in the year 2007. Turns out he was not. I'm glad I did a little quick, quick behind the scenes look, but then I needed to replace him. I decided I would get a great bat off my bench. First bat off the bench. That's Alfonso Soriano. He wasn't in your thing? No. Alfonso Soriano was not on my team before this. I could have sworn he was. Wow. All no. right. Soriano. Alfonso Soriano, the year 2000, the year is 2007. He is coming off only the fourth 40-40 season, excuse me, in Major League history when he played a single year for the Nationals. I mean, who would have guessed that was the case? But he signs an eight-year, $136 million contract with the Chicago Cubs and comes in and immediately, uh, we moved him to, to left field after he was kind of historically a second baseman. Um, came in at the same time as Lou Pinella, Sweet Lou. And Soriano, you know, never quite lived up I got a tickle in my throat. Never quite lived up to the numbers he put up (laughs) in his years in New York and Texas and Washington, one year in Washington. Uh, But his first year in Chicago, 33 home runs, 70 RBIs, hit 299. He also had only 19 stolen bases after the year before going for 41. A little disappointing if if you ask me. He also had the most infuriating habit I've ever seen an outfielder have. When he would go to catch a ball, a fly ball, he would hop right before he caught it. He would hop and catch it in the air and then land back on his feet. Absolutely moronic. Like a hop and stride kind of thing? No, like a hop straight up in the air. I'm sure you can Uh, find it if you look it up online. It is. It was infuriating. Everyone that I knew hated it. And I think he eventually ended up turning his ankle when he did it once and that was the end of the hop but he he just never quite lived up to that to the billing but i'll take a 33 home run guy off my bench any day of the week and so i'm happy to have alfonso soriano in this in this situation yeah that's i i honestly i you my genuine reaction i thought that was the guy who was in your lineup that feels like <laughs> <laughs> it feels like I'm yeah, I mean, it, would, it would make some sense of the guys were dragging up here <laughs> it would make sense I was just looking like when I was putting this lineup together I was looking at my outfield I'm like I want Moises Salu I want Sammy Sosa like and so that's left and right field and then in my center fielder I don't want I'm not giving anything away but he's the top of my order guy he was a world series champion that's all I'll say I needed him in center field, so Soriano off the bench. I'm okay with it. Oh, the guy you – oh, I got you. I don't want to – you know, no spoilers. No spoilers. Yeah, 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 yeah. No spoilers. No spoilers. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean that's a solid, solid first bat off the bench. That feels like yeah. we're playing MLB the show right there. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean that's a great pick. I th- sometimes forget that he was a Cub. He was. Yeah, I mean he, he played out – 
uh, I think his entire contract in Chicago. He he was there from 2007 until oh he was traded. I think in the last year of his contract back to the to the Yankees when the Cubs were absolutely dog shit, and he finished out his career in New York, which is fair. I mean that's where he started, so seems seems right. He seems start, reasonable. He also came into the league and immediately won three World Series. Excuse me, two World two World Series. Lost the third. Not a bad start. Not Not a a terrible way to get your career going, but, you know, that's just me. Yeah, I know. Feels nice. Yeah. Who do you got? Who is filling out your roster for for this week's show? Well, you said this year, 2007. I'm at 2008. This guy was also a Yankee later in his career. Mm. And he was mm-hmm. a, you know who it is already. He was a mm-hmm. trade acquisition, trade deadline acquisition, mm-hmm. came over from the Cleveland, now Guardians. Yes. For Matt Laporta, Michael Brantley, Zach Jackson, and Rob Bryson in Jul- on July 7th, 2008. And wow. that would be one CC Sabathia. Yep. I mean, Hall of Fame pitcher. Yep. And he was he was crucial in that in that end of season and in that postseason run. Unfortunately, they end up losing to the eventual champion World Series, eventual World Series champion Phillies in the NLDS. But there was a deep run into October, earned a yeah into October. And when he was pitching specifically that his, I'm gonna read his um, Milwaukee stats only. He started seven games. Nope. He 17. Seven, he started 17 games. He had seven complete games and three yep. shutouts. <laughs> That's insane. Way more, way more insane. That uh, is crazy. An 11 and two record with a 165 ERA across 17 starts. Struck out, let's see, struck out 128 and a half in, from July 4th on basically <laughs> and only gave up six homers uh good for era plus of 137 yeah that's pretty good if you ask me uh, um yeah <laughs> and, he was and, ridiculous i remember that season very well because the cubs and brewers were both really good that year yeah yeah they, i was a shutdown season and he was he was fresh off of a excuse me fresh off of an mv or cy young season in mm-hmm. cleveland in 07 and then 08, he followed it up by finishing fifth in Cy Young voting in the National League after only pitching half the season there. So That's that just crazy. shows you how dominant he was. Uh, he'd obviously go on to free agency after that and sign a very big deal with the New York Yankees and finish out his career there. Mm-hmm. But so yeah, seven-year 167 with the Yankees after that season. But across that whole season, he was 17 and 10 with a 270 ERA and 35 starts and struck out 251 batters in a major league leading 253 innings, posting 10 complete games and five shutouts. Wow. That was also good enough for sixth in the NL MVP award. That's impressive. Which is just, just unreal. He was the highest ranking pitcher in the NL MVP and fifth in the Cy Young despite again only a half a season and <laughs> i mean it's just it's I, just unreal i remember being at the game it was cubs versus brewers and it was at in milwaukee and it was the first game that i want to say it was the first 
game where they lost while he was starting. Oh, and the Brewers it, last? Yeah, it was a – I remember it was the start of a, a four-game series. The Cubs ended up sweeping the Brewers in four games. But this is the first the first game of the series, and he, and he was so nasty. But And before that, he was like so unhittable. But the Cubs were able to kind of crack him a little bit. And yeah, but he, but he also, I mean, I don't know if you're going to get there, but that last, the Cub, they played the Cubs the last game of the regular, regular season, the last weekend. And the Brewers needed to win to win the wild card or to uh-huh. get, to get, to get, at that time, at that time, there was only one wild card, no right. like game, whatever. And he pitched a complete game. So he That's was, wild. has there ever been a hired gun who has like, done as well as him who's just and like one like half a season on like you don't like you don't experience that kind of thing like i feel like normally it's like they stick around like maybe they stay an extra year or whatever but it's like how often does a guy just come in fucking dominate and then just play his way into like a gigantic contract like that yeah yeah i mean he was already he'd already played his way into that contract but this this just up that solidified it yeah further yeah no you're right it was a complete game not only was it a shutout it was a four hitter yeah against the cubs and then they went on to clinch when the mets lost that evening yeah and and actually i guess the most important thing is that was the first postseason appearance since 1982 for the brewers yes that's right whoa that's crazy start and this is the start of i think as i teased it before the last one was a good one with prince fielder but this is a run you know as the the brewers run in in the the, like 08 to like the next few years is Mm -hmm. it's pretty dominant and there's some pretty big names and this is this is for sure he's he's a there there i don't think there is a better I mean, biased a little bit because he came from one of my teams to another one, but I don't think there really is a better <laughs> hired hand. No. I mean, again, just the staggering – all you need to be said is half a season and he's in the awards awards conversation in both in for both important single-player single, or single player awards. It's just unreal. Um, it, it's, it's really crazy. Like, I can't – I'm, like, trying to figure out, like, who was even close to – like a rental who was that that spectacular like carlos okay I, I found carlos beltran for the astros yeah. in 2005 otherwise like yeah cliff lee for the rangers in 2010 oh lee he was traded was a lot though yeah. um, but he, he was but yeah, a big he, time mercenary oh yeah he he had a, a not a great ERA, but he threw in 15 starts. He had eight inning. He threw at, at least eight innings in eight of his 15 starts. Like he was just yeah. they just rode him until his arm fell off. Like, this is the and that's kind of how CC was the workhorse starting pitcher. Yeah, that's, how that's CeCe, exactly how CC I mean, was. CeCe 17 starts, baggy ass uniform. Oh my god, he was like the largest person you ever saw. And he was wearing still too big of a uniform, and he had that yeah, hat somehow a little bit. He, the he also. He also was a very like he was a very good hitter for yes. uh, for being yeah, he, a pitcher. He homered off the the scoreboard, I think, in in Milwaukee. Now that you're saying that, I think he homered off the back the back scoreboard at Miller Park. Yeah, he didn't get a ton of at bats, obviously, because he was in Cleveland and then he was in New York. But like when he was with Milwaukee, I feel like he was hitting the ball pretty well. Like. It was like compare like him and like Zambrano were like the two guys who like everyone looked at as like 
Oh, these guys can hit. I'm trying to look for <laughs> there's a minute 21 collection of every CC Bath CC Sabathia home home run. He did hit one in Cleveland, see. So he hit one in Cleveland against the Reds. Yeah, roped a high fastball to dead center. <laughs> oh my god. Over Ken Griffey. That's a good flashback of baseball. He is. Hits it deep to <laughs> center field. That's a two-run shot. Junior will watch it go over his head and, then, and out of the ballpark. Oh, he hit one in, in L.A. Yeah, I mean, he um, was uh, he was a dog. No question about it. Yeah, it just, I mean, uh, incredible player. I get player. it. I get it. CC has put you in awe. Yeah. I love CC, dude. Good old CC. That's awesome. a good one. That was a good one. I, I honestly yeah. forgot about him until you and brought we, that up. One other little housekeeping bit. We fudged the rules just so we could get him in there because it really doesn't count because he was only a half a season. But Oh, but he was such a big – no, I, I think that totally counts. I mean it was, it was a very important part of that year. They were not going back to the – they were not going to the postseason without him. Like, oh, that's absolutely. To, yeah, no, he totally was fair. postseason run. Totally so. fair, I think. Go CC. Um, I'm going to go – I need to go find me a CC jersey now. Yeah. So from the joys Older of – CC Sabathia jersey. Exactly. So from the joys of discussing – the glory days <laughs> of yesteryear. We're going to have to get real for a second <sighs> and, and talk about three pretty embarrassing baseball teams. If you ask me, let's No, we're talking about two. We're saying five words about the other one. Yeah. Yeah. True. We'll just start. Honestly, we can start with that other one. Fuck the white Sox. fire, jo- fire. Uh, I was about to say Joe Madden. It's name's not Joe Madden. It's Tony <laughs> LaRussa. Fire Tony LaRussa. And then we'll talk about you. Yeah. Or start doing, winning baseball games. One yeah, or the other. I think they did sweep in Detroit today, but who fucking cares? Yeah, you should Detroit, sweep in Detroit. Detroit. Here's a stat for you, Evan. Detroit used three position players ah, to pitch. Exactly. So that's how you, you know how things are going Detroit. for them. Yeah. So moving on from the White Sox, let's talk about another pitiful franchise, the Milwaukee Brewers. You were waiting for that one. You. <laughs> They've jumped on Bernie's slide, and they are going down, down, down. Yeah, we'll see. They're trying to right the ship. Finally got a win to stop the eight-game skid on Sunday in Washington. Uh, Willie Adamas had actually a really good a good day in that one. And I tell you what, I'm trying to be patient because the big four, or even five really, Renfro, Yelich. Well, the the lineup as it's supposed to be constructed has only had four days this entire season at full strength, which mm-hmm. is which is surprising, but it's that's a bad excuse. Yeah, this team is third in the majors in home runs. Okay, tied for third with the Philadelphia <laughs> Phillies with eighty. That would that would seem to think that this is a good offense, right? Yeah, they're twenty sixth out of all 30 teams in team batting average with a nice 230 batting average. Yeah. OPS. Yeah, they're 19th. Ooh. And to boot, they've had pitching injuries and injuries galore as I mentioned last episode. It's just it's it's it can get very sad to watch this team very quickly in a game because they either score like it's hard to, it's hard for them to come by runs. You know, Yelich has struggled. They moved, they're out of, they moved him out of the three spot, and he finally homered against Washington, but I have yet to see him homer against a actual contending team this season. 
we all felt good when we had a stretch of of a homestand of the Cubs and Reds and hit 20 homers and felt like this offense was unstoppable. Yeah, And then we had to remind ourselves that it was the Cubs and Reds and they looked very <laughs> stoppable against everything else. Yeah. And it just, it's been, you know, Lowers had some, ran in some struggles. Ashby's ran in some struggles. Not every pitcher can be Corbin Burns and dominate every time he goes out, but even he's ran into some struggles. So it's like the pitching won't always be there, which is fine. You're not going to win 162 games. It doesn't happen in MLB. But if this team wants to show themselves and show their fans that they're serious about contending, they will grab a legitimate offensive bat, a name that can come into this lineup and produce and not be a black hole and the hitting. I just something that shows me, you know, shows me that they're serious. Eddie Escobar last year was nice. Like you're like, okay, there's some positional versatility there. He's a pretty dang Mm -hmm. good hitter. I didn't work, but like, you you develop the strength of pitching and go pitching 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 and then throw eight million dollars at andrew mccutcheon who is a good player in his prime but is not in his prime anymore yeah and expect that to solve your offensive woes again might i remind you this team got swept albeit by the eventual champions but by the atlanta braves last year in in the first round of of the postseason and if they don't do something to address the the again completely lackluster offense it's going to be a equally swift ex- exit this this year because every game just feels like if they get down two three four runs it feels almost insurmountable right now yeah and that's not a place of that's not a, that's not a good team that is not what a good team does right and especially with the way that we've seen the cardinals play over the last month and a half they have been absolutely smacking the ball around they have all different kinds of young guys coming in and immediately contributing. You have Paul Goldschmidt losing his mind out there, just hitting everything out of the park. So they're they're now I was just looking at it. They are two and a half games up uh, as of right now. And the, the three teams behind them in their last 10, one and nine. Yeah. So, that that's that's not going to help anyone when the Cardinals are are running away with things, but the Brewers, really the only team that has any shot, and uh, like you said, they need to fortify that that lineup, get somebody in there who can consistently hit the ball and get this team some some runs because they have the pitching. Yeah, it's just a matter it, of being able to support them. Right, and it's it's not. I mean, it's not all nightmares. There's like I said. But I don't need to delve into it more. The, the 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 biggest difference between the Cardinals and the the Brewers right now is that the Cardinals have been able to win off the backs of Goldschmidt playing like a man possessed. Mm-hmm. When you and the, and the Brewers just don't currently have that. Willie's like one sixty something or was was below two hundred until he hit that homer. He had a good game, but like it, the results, the homers, the pop, the. You know, it's been some bad luck. Rowdy seared a ball and Josh Bell made the most athletic play I think I've ever seen him make mm-hmm. altogether. Isn't that athletic? But snared a ball that had like 115 exit <laughs> velo off the bat and would have cleared the bases because it would have been a double or triple into the right field corner. But, you know, it's 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 part bad luck, part pitching performance issues. And and this is the game of baseball, but they need to figure out a way to mitigate it. And I think the answer comes at the trade deadline and they need to show that they care that they want to win a world series. Definitely. In my case, 
I don't think my team really cares that much anymore. <laughs> the Cubs. Remember last week? I was I was like, well, we might not be good, but at least we're having fun. I am no longer having fun. No more fun's fun. over. Fun's over. Party's, Party's over. over. <laughs> yeah. Ever you, you don't have to go home, but you got to get the hell out of here. That's how I feel about ninety nine percent of the roster right now. Cubs are currently playing the Padres, losing, of course, and they have lost eight in a row. Nine out of their last ten, like I said. And, yeah, it's just – it's brutal. It is really brutal, and they are getting – they're not just losing. They're getting their shit kicked in. Like, they have been outscored during this losing streak 66-24. to Let me rephrase. Let me say that one more time. 66 to 24 over the last 10 games. That is absolutely just, there's no other word for it here. I'll let me, um, that's so bad. I need to break out my thesaurus. Um, synonyms. Synonyms for embarrassing. We are, no, <laughs> this is good radio. Good, um, good. Shameful, good humiliating, mortifying, de- mortifying, upsetting, disconcerting, discomfitting, discomposing. I am decomposing watching the Cubs play baseball. <laughs> they are a, a clown show. They are mismanaged. They are the bullpen is an absolute mess. Yeah, no one is pitching well. Yeah, I really have nothing good to say. So it sounds honestly, like you covered it. We're one game ahead of the we're one game ahead of the Cincinnati Reds right now for the battle for last place in our division. The Cincinnati Reds started the season like two and twenty one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they have somehow made their way back to be one game back of us. That is just shows you how poorly the Cubs have been playing. I yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll I really don't have unless you have anything else to add. I think we can just move on because I, I really have nothing good to say. No, they're just the sad times in baseball land. Yeah, they're they're a fucking joke. Pray, Fuck. pray, pray that one one or both of our teams finds an eight game winning streak. Um, they both look very unlikely for both of our teams at current at the current time. Yeah, Brewers have yeah. a better chance of fixing it, but I'm, <laughs> oh, for sure. Team looks I would right now. I would kill to be 34 and 29 right now. I just want you to know that. Obviously, I know you're on a yeah. you're in a tough stretch right now. And I feel you. I've been there, but it can always be worse. It can always you. be worse. It can always it can be always worse. worse. Yeah, the pitching is bad shape in 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 Chicago land, and it yeah, needs, it it's needs really bad. It's our our bullpen is we've we've tried to to skate by similar to the Bears skating by with a with an offensive line put together by bubblegum. The Cubs have been trying to put together a bullpen using like the little scotch tape and glue sticks. It's not working. We've seen this the last couple of years. They've tried to just bring in like whatever guy who can throw 97 or, you know, but they can't, they just can't put together a good, a good bullpen. David Robertson, who is the only guy who has been of note this year doing well on a consistent basis. He, when he, when your closer, can't get a chance to to perform 
he's you know your bullpen's gonna your team's obviously suffering and your bullpen's gonna suffer so everyone's getting knocked around i'm whatever let's move on let's let's move on to the what we're really looking to talk about today and that is the nba draft a light at the end of the tunnel <laughs> for me and for many basketball fans yeah so finals and for me yeah and for you i said for many basketball fans uh, okay listen right. listen right. you're many but you're many i guess i am many i just want to yes. feel a little bit more special than that you know yes for us and I for other sometimes frank come on now. yeah all right all right this is off pod talk um <laughs> uh, <Too much? laughs> so let's talk nba draft as of the time of this recording it is wednesday june 15th the nba draft is next thursday evan will be out of the country at the time of the draft so if anything big happens you'll be listening to papa frank probably on instagram live flying solo maybe i'll bring in some guests look forward to that whoa whoa bring in noel our producer yeah noel and i on a on a podcast together i'm just sure it, she would just just do it live that way it'd be an uh, hour-long uh, roast session of her on you yes yeah, yeah. exactly just exactly. just make sure to do it on instagram live if she finds out your location you might not make it to another podcast exactly. you're very you're very right happy. okay so anyways nba draft um nba finals wrapping up game six coming up uh so now Every other, all the other 28 franchises have something to look forward to as the NBA draft comes around. Hope is renewed. Evan, tell me where the Bucks stand in terms of, um, you know, potential moves. Who is, um, what needs need to be filled? Um, and, and then some prospects you're looking at, uh, specifically, mm, let's say three prospects you're looking at. Mm, it's like we predetermined mm. that or something. Who, who, yeah, this is all on the fly kind of stuff. You just, know? We're, no, totally arbitrary. We're fly, yeah. Just, I don't know. A number three, yeah, maybe. three, um, three. Okay. I, know, yeah. I might have four. I whoa, don't know. Whoa. Whoa. I know. Whoa. Easy. Um, all right. all right. First off, we're going to start here. Um, anyone bucks land watching watching and wanting for a big move to happen uh, especially after one damian lillard tweeted during game seven of the celtics bucks series that he would like to play with Giannis if he had one player to choose with um there's there's nothing <laughs> there's nothing to make that move with stop trying to yeah. make it happen there is not enough picks in the war chest we made we made that move that move was getting drew um that's that's done and dusted. This is how the team's going to look. Um, there's not going to be a lot of significant change. You can only really work with the way they're settled, but with the luxury tax, with um, vet mins, and like I think they have one uh, mid-level salary e- exemption um, to work with. Like you can't, you can't do a ton with that. Um, yeah. So you're left to scrape, not scrape the barrel, but find players and figure out how to make it work, which is why when you have a draft pick, as we've mentioned that the one, the only first round pick they have until like 2026, um, it's important or 2028, I think even uh, it's important Whoa. to use them. Um, so I think the draft plays then a ton of importance uh, into yeah. what we're trying to develop here. Um, I think I sat uh, the biggest need that pops to mind. Um, I think I sat 
at the trade deadline podcast and said, God, I would love some way if, if we could find uh, some sort of wing, wing, wing role player to add to this team. Um, and, you know, it's hard to get that because, again, it's everyone wants it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like it's like the buzzword that everyone says. It's like three and D, you know, like wing depth. We need wing right. depth. Like. Right. But everyone needs it in some way, shape or right. form. And you and you go. I mean, you go looking under every rock, stone and last hidden object to find it. Right. So right. It, it's a guy who has versatility on both sides of the floor, um, you know, shooting guard or power forward kind of build um, that can just i mean it's not you don't need a guy who can be like you're not looking for another piece of a big three you have your core settled no um exactly you're looking for a four or five type um to just provide options that's what grayson does when when the team is functioning properly it's what brooke can do sometimes as well as helping out defensively um you know find a guy who can play off the the core of this this bucks game which is Giannis attacks the hoop and either finishes himself or kicks it out to an open look somewhere else along the way. And, and a guy that can just shoot it from anywhere. Um, Mm -hmm. So that brings me to two guys that fit that mold. And I'm going to say this, uh, you know, the value of a pick and getting this a homegrown, like the draft, you know, a guy that can be on your team for, uh, I mean, what is, what is rookie contract for a a late first round guy in, in NBA? Uh, I don't know numbers wise, like money wise, but I think like it's usually like a four year contract. Yeah. So uh, and then you can and then you can get that fifth year um, option. I want to say that's how it usually goes. Okay. So you're looking at five, yeah. four to five years of a guy, and potentially longer if you if it works out. Like if mm. you can find that, like you're not going to find that on the trade on the trade market. No. Um, so. Uh, it just it, it places the emphasis on having to find one of these guys and develop them because well yeah and a, a huge thing so in the, and a huge thing in the NBA is like finding guy, like guys performing well on their rookie deal you know what right, I mean like right. because of Which how this team ex- desperately needs <laughs> exactly with how much money the the Bucks have in three guys in particular and then like. You know, I, I don't know if you I, I can't remember if you mentioned it, but like Bobby and Pat both being on like their play, like going into their final yeah. years of their contract, Brooke. And I'm sure you'll mention that no, but so just they're done, having they're done. flexibility. Yeah, they're they're done. They have a player option that they have to decide both mm. of those guys if they want to pick up. OK, so that's a big thing to look at for Bucks yeah. offseason needs. Um, it, it's hard to see a guy like Bobby with the way he's talked about the team wanting to go elsewhere. Um, yeah, but you I never agree. know, right? Um, he, he took a discount last year. Doesn't mean he'll do it again. Maybe this season was stressful and something changed. Who knows? Um, anyways, back to the prospects. Uh, a number one love and desire on my draft board and through scouting uh, is EJ Liddell. Um, he, of the guys that seem to be available in the range, you know, that seem to be projected to be available where the Bucks are picking. Liddell might go. Liddell might go a little early, or a little before that. But if he's there, mm-hmm. he. I think he just projects to be the best, best, best pick. Um, I mean, he's for sure. Oh, he went, sorry. And what what pick do the Bucks have? Bucks have twenty four. I don't know about their second round. Um, mm-hmm. I know they've swapped around some picks, first and second. Uh, uh, I'm going to look it up. Draft. Um. But the the first pick, the first pick is the twenty fourth. Twenty fourth, right? Um, 
and then yeah, there's I think there's one maybe two second rounders because um, they they traded they traded for two or they bought they somehow got two out of the uh, the Ibaka deal at the deadline. Um, anyways, EJ Liddell uh, he w- was going to enter the draft last year. Uh, was told not to by scouts and other people go back and work on his game. Um, he added three point shooting back to the game this year, so he can shoot really from anywhere. Um, he is really, really smart defensively and outplays. I think what a lot of people would, or I think a lot of people would say he outplays his physical characteristics. Um, he just mm. seems to know like where and what to do at all times, offensively, defensively. Um, I think the only real criticism I've seen is his ball handling. Um, but that feels like that can be worked on, especially with player development and focus, like NBA focus that doesn't, you know, the pros do it different, right? They, they, the, the amount of resources they have is even probably better than what they can get at, get access to at Ohio state. So, um, that's my favorite guy to look at in the draft. Uh, I can't say that enough times. I really want EJ to Liddell. <clears throat> the more I watch, the more I fall in love with him. And I just pray he comes available at 24. Um, if he's not, the next guy I would look to is, uh, Dalen Terry. Um, I think it's a, sm- like, it's a, kind of more speculative a lot of these guys are speculative because it's not there's not a lot sure. of fire in this draft but um he seems to be even more speculative than most um mostly because he he is efficient um like shooting from like mid-range and, and beyond three um but he did hasn't shown a ton of it it like just came this year kind of in a in, in very small sample size um so it, it projects to be something that scouts can work on and it seems to be something like that that would transition well and if if he's shown he can do it like i I, i'd rather have a guy who's shown he can do it in small size than shown he can't do it in a large size or like the you know feeling like working on a shot is a bad profile i think coming into the nba um Mm -hmm. like needs to work on a shot that doesn't feel like it's a trade i want um but he's really, really physical and aggressive on the court, especially uh, transition wise. Like he has created a lot of plays that like blocking the ball or stealing the ball that would start a transition. Um, and then they, they noted how he's fast and aggressive in, in like going the other way, which seems to be very big in this, in the league in general. I think transition sh- transitions like points in transition is a, yeah. as we talked about. Um, For sure. So I, the profile still tracks. I think any kind of guy that fits like this six five, six six area that can shoot and play defense. Um, there seems to be a lot of like like raw talent or, or maybe not fully developed talent in this range that fits that profile. Um, there's the who's the guy from Notre Dame we were talking about who you left off, but I was debating between Terry and him. Blake Blake Wesley. Blake Wesley, he's projecting the same yeah. range, has similar attributes, and looks to be that same kind of role. So, um, and then I didn't well, really. Sorry, oh, can I just say Dale and Terry, six seven, wingspan seven feet. See, love that, love that. Like that's that's like you know the kind of guy that almost any GM wants on their roster. Like just yeah. the versatility that you can use that guy in. Like that's that's everything. Yeah, no, I think it's I there's some that's that's some f- amazing size and and mm-hmm. would be <laughs> very welcome in Milwaukee. Oh, for sure. <laughs> At least for, for sure. me. I'm pretty sure yeah. a lot of people would agree with that, though. The one name and I'm only really putting this over another another uh, wing because um, he's been mocked like three different times in my re- like in research to the Bucks. Um, and I guess I didn't really think of it as a need, but it certainly showed itself as a need. Um, I mean, Brooke 
obviously was out a lot of the season with um with his surgery issue it was even at some point concerned he would even would if he would even make it back um he did and he pretty helped significantly he came back to his role and did exactly what what he does but as you mentioned Mm -hmm. he has a year left on his deal he's very much getting up there in age um and that would seem to it was the re- well. So let's go back even further. It was the reason they completed the Abaca trade. It was for insurance in case he didn't come back. Um, so uh, Walker Kessler is the guy that in drafts as a, as center out of Auburn, um, who has been linked with the Bucks a few different times. Um, and I'm looking up his wingspan, as you mentioned, is seven five. I think he's. Or, well, you talked about wingspan, a different player. His wingspan is seven five, which is just massive in its own right. Ridiculous. That's unreal. Um, and uh, he is, I believe, six seven. Uh, no, I think he's seven. I think he's a seven. Is he seven foot? Maybe well, Walker Kessler. He's a true seven foot. Seven one. He's seven one. Um, which yeah. is which is beautiful. Seven one two forty five. Um seems to be able he's they could call him the modern center i guess is that the ability to you know still shoot um yeah like, okay so he seems to have the potential to develop you know into this role that brook fills which is a guy that Giannis talked about at length during the injury during brooks injury stint is how much he missed having brook in the lineup um he you know he he's he's athletic he's defensively minded he's huge seven five wingspan seven foot those are both things you want to see in a center um would i think need to develop that shot a little bit to fit in but you know you give him a you draft him and get him a year to spell brook and learn from brook and then start to take over if brook even stays around for longer than a year and doesn't hang it up um and and it's not a need going into this show prep that i was really kind of focused on but uh if I woke up a week from now and uh, out of the country and saw that this was the guy or a center like this was who was drafted, I would not be disappointed one bit. Yeah. And I think he brings even like a little bit different element than Brooke. Obviously, like you said, he can develop that shot and, and scouts are clearly intrigued by that ability he has, but he is a prolific shop locker. Yeah. He, he was averaging his per 36 minutes uh, stats were six and a half blocks a game. I think um, like in total, it was like four, like in his like regular, like not advanced stats was like four and a half. So to be able to just, I mean that at high, I mean playing in a high level program, one of the best conferences in the country for college basketball, that is insane that amount of blocks per game and that sort of rim protection is going to be welcome by any team. So yeah, Walker Kessler would fit in very nicely with that. I'm just imagining the next five, six years of that alongside Giannis and right. You, I, just, I mean, you stick, you can move Giannis to the four. Um, you can have Walker guard the basket and just, you know, let Giannis not work and, and just having those two together, like Giannis, as we know, is a prolific shot blocker. Like, yeah, put those, those two, two together. That's, shots. that's dangerous. <laughs> I was even seeing, I was reading um, today articles um, about the, which we, you know, the Bucks defense in the postseason um, and actually how a uh, contrary oh, in some stats, especially on a points per game um, stat, they were actually a lot better at like reducing like, 
you know, they, they played better than you thought compared to what these teams that they faced, the Celtics, the Bulls can do in the regular mm-hmm. season. Um, but that being said, um, I mean, the, it could it could stand to go down even further. <laughs> I would love that. And and Walker Walker is an insane defensive guy, and it would keep out Giannis out of the five. Which, as I you just mentioned, and I I said earlier, he does not. It works that way. He can do that. He he is obviously well equipped to do that. But that is not his style. Like that's not where he wants to be. Like his right. game works best with this with a true center. Um, that way he can just be the physical freak that nobody can match up on. Well, because your 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 other center is occupied. <laughs> right. Definitely. Definitely. It'll be very interesting to see where they go. See what's available. Um, there's a lot of potential in this draft. I feel like most of it is. Especially in that, I mean, and it feels kind of always that way. In that, in that, you know, Bulls are at eighteen, Bucks are at eight, at twenty four. Like in that range, you can find someone who can, you know, impact your team right away, or yeah. you can find someone who's going to be a little bit more of a project, a guy who has a little more upside, like a um, like a Blake Wesley, or you know, someone else along those lines who you can say, or or how about a Giannis Antetokounmpo? Like he was, I think he was like the fifteenth pick, but like still so, outside yeah. the. Outside the lottery, once you get outside of there, it's kind of like best, like, you know, you're looking at like best player available, maybe not even, you know, you know, uh, necessarily filling a need more, just kind of bringing in somebody who can kind of grow into a role and and grow with your team. Um, So these teams like, you know, the Bucks and the Bulls should be primed to do with with some of the news you're going to get to. Um, But you know, these teams that have good player development staffs that are also in championship windows, like our perfect position to take advantage of this. Like, you know, it's a guy that may not need to have a 30 to 40 minute roll a night right off the bench, but right, right off oh, the bat, for sure. but in a year, two, three, like, you know, that could be the new Brook. That could be the new, I don't want to say Chris is going to re- get replaced, but could be as, as integral as a guy like Chris or drew like a big, big piece. So yeah, definitely. Diamond in the it, rough, if you will. Yeah, that's what the draft's all about, the hope. Um, let's move on and uh, talk about the Bulls. We'll finish up with that. Um, Bulls are in a very interesting position. Um, coming off a very successful season in a lot of people's eyes. Some people a little disappointed by the ending. But uh, I'll take a 15-win improvement any season when it comes to my teams in Chicago. Um, and now uh, – there's been a lot of rumors going on. Uh, I think we've talked about it before with the whole Zach Levine situation. He's going into, you know, this was his contract year. He was injured for part of it towards the end. Um, but he is due for an extension. And based on the reporting that's been coming out, it sounds like Zach is back. He will be signing the extension after all the smoke, after all the questions of if he's going to be going somewhere else. It sounds almost certain that in two weeks, when he can first sign that contract, the Bulls will be offering him that max extension, and he'll be back for another five years. Um, so, few, as he should, as he should, I agree. He uh, the Bulls have done everything they can to build this roster around him and his skills, and I think that he is in his best situation here. Um, so. Luckily, we I can breathe a sigh of relief as far as that situation goes. Um, but also some interesting things have been coming out about the Bulls in terms of 
a li- doing a little off-season shopping, apparently. Um, we saw it last off-season when they brought in, you know, DeRozan and, and Caruso and Ball. Um, during the trade deadline last year, they brought in Nikola Vucevic. They've really built this roster through trades and free agency um, in the last year, uh, year and a half, really. Um, and now there's talk that the Bulls are possibly shopping their number 18 pick and Kobe White. Um, the only thing that would make this a little tricky is that the Bulls are not able to trade their first round pick until they draft the player. So essentially you'd be drafting someone for another team and then immediately sending him out um, along with possibly Kobe white. They've been in discuss. There's just been talk of them in discussion with teams about maybe moving up in the draft, um, maybe trying to grab a veteran player who can immediately fill a knee that they have. Um, So very interesting. I'm not quite sure. I think Kobe white's time with the bulls has kind of come and gone. Um, he's shown a lot of potential, but I just don't think that he's really quite filling a need that we have right now. Um, and he's just, he's just been so inconsistent. So it just feels like it might be time to part ways. Um, so kind of interesting. We'll see what happens on draft night. Um, a name that keeps coming up for the bulls also in potential trades is Rudy Gobert. Um, but I feel like the what the Jazz would be asking for is just yeah would be too much. Feels like, like you'd have to, you'd have to give up. I mean, it would be Vucevic, it would be Patrick Williams, it would probably be Kobe White, and then it would probably be this first round pick. Like it just doesn't feel. It feels like too much for. And Gobert is a game changer. Like on defense, he is you know no question one of the best defensive players in the NBA. Um, we've seen it. He's won the defensive player of the year three times, but we've also seen how inconsistent he's been in the playoffs. He's a great regular season guy, but come playoff time, he's been exposed more, more times than not. Exposed he, a lot. Yeah. He has an inability to space the floor. He's not going to pop out and shoot ever. He barely leaves <laughs> the paint. So I feel like it's more just kind of like, executives saying I could see him going there like that makes sense but I feel like in the long run it might just be best to kind of let him and that situation play out with somebody else let somebody else get involved let a Charlotte let a Dallas get involved in that situation and just kind of steer clear and and fill needs elsewhere um yeah in more organic ways than trading half your team Exactly. And and committing another 40 million to a yeah. player like Gobert, you know, because he's yeah. right now on a contract that is the same contract that Zach Levine's going to be signing five years, 205 million. So Gobert is on that contract. So then you bring in Gobert. So then you have Gobert and Zach making 40 million. You have DeRozan making 30 million. Then you have Ball and Caruso both with a lot of it's just a lot of financial tie-ups you want to talk about top heavy teams (laughs) exactly exactly so we we don't want to get into a situation like that so let's talk about prospects that the bulls should and hopefully will be looking at um i'll start with a guy who similar to walker kessler um you want to talk about you like you like wingspan evan 
How about the largest wingspan in this year's draft? Mark Williams out of Duke, uh, seven foot two. How about a seven foot six and a half wingspan? Um, longest, like I said, longest wingspan at the draft, nearly seven foot seven. That is unbelievable. Um, and a standing reach of nine foot nine. That's absurd, that is, dude. He's grabbing the guy's holding onto the rim flat footed. Really, <laughs> really crazy. Um, he is a guy who, um, was a high level prospect coming into Duke. Uh, he was there his, you know, he came in his freshman year. He decided to stay an extra year and it really benefited him. Um, he jumped up in, um, all every, almost every stat finished with, uh, 11 points, seven and a half rebounds, three blocks on a very good Duke team this season. Also shot 72% from the field. Um, the only thing is he is pretty much strictly interior, like really does not ever leave the paint. Um, only took one three-pointer all last season. I think it was on like a half-court buzzer beater or something like that, like desperation shot. <laughs> so I think that he fits well into the Bulls What and the needs of this Bulls roster. We are in desperate need of interior defense, um, a, a solid backup center behind Vucevic. And I think Mark Williams would fit that pretty well. I think he's a guy who kind of grow into a role. Um, he'll he's one of those you know rim protector, lob catcher, um, and just a guy who can fill in right away. I mean, he would almost immediately be our backup center because Tristan Thompson is gone, Tony Bradley is gone. So having him in that role, I like it, and he's young and. I won't complain if he's if he comes in the next season as our backup center. Um, yeah, feels like the perfect way to acquire no offense on your team and defensive only versus paying $40 right like million dollars for it, Rudy Gobert. Right, and like it, it's it's one of those things where it's like he's not like you said he's not going to like come in and be a great offensive player, but we don't we have that we have yeah. the Demar Derozan, we have Zach Levine, we have Vucevic who can stretch the floor, and like we don't need another guy who's going to come in and. immediately take shots away from those people you know what i mean Mm -hmm. absolutely but as i say that i'm about to introduce you to two guys who could be taking away shots from those guys (laughs) but that's okay because you know what (laughs) as i say that the bulls have enough scoring we need shooting in the worst way and a guy who brings shooting and a championship pedigree may i may i add is oche agbaji um from the university of kansas he was a guy who shot up draft boards this year. Um, he's a guard forward, six five and a, and a half, six ten wingspan, um, and he can shoot the lights out. Forty percent three point shooter this year on six and a half attempts. Who he jumped up ten, uh, ten points between his freshman and senior season. Dang. So a guy with a guy with a lot of experience. Um, Kind of something we saw when it came to like Io Desumu coming in last year, a guy who had lots of experience playing in high level games, um, in a you know every night playing in a tough conference against some of the best players in the country. So that that kind of stuff helps. And I know everyone wants to get the nineteen year old stud, you know, um, raw talent like we mentioned before. But I think there's something to be said about having a guy who comes in who's got you know a little calming presence to him. A guy who's been around the block, um, like like EJ Liddell, like you mentioned, and Oche, Oche kind of gives me those kind of vibes. Um, I think he is 
when you talk about modern NBA players, what needs teams want to fill, it's the three and D guy. Yeah. And Oche is that is that kind of guy. He is, like I said, proficient in catch and shoot situations. He's well he does well in transition. And he's a very good on ball defender. So the athleticism that he has, um, I think it'll really um come into play on a Bulls roster like that's built like this. Um he he doesn't really have the ability to create for himself and get to the free throw line very often. But when you have Zach Levine, um, Lonzo Ball, th- those guys are the ones who are going to be you know bringing the ball up. DeRozan, maybe even Patrick Williams this season is going to be have more um, sort of a time to bring the ball up with the second team. I think Oche would fit in very nicely with that. He'd be able to stretch the floor for these guys and bring in the three point shooting that we desperately need, especially. Um, when Lonzo is out or um, or Zach is off the floor, like we we we'll, we'll definitely need that ability that the guy who can go out there and spot up and um, get himself open to hit threes. Um, so I, I definitely like the idea of bringing him in uh, if he's available because he's he's a guy who's right now projected in like that fifteen to seventeen range. Bulls sitting at eighteen. There is a chance things could change by by draft night. So. I would not hate bringing bringing him into this into the fold. Um, Oche, born in Milwaukee, yeah. Wisconsin. There you go. I thought he was like, yeah, I thought but, he had a connection. Yes, but grew up in Kansas City, so he probably mm. probably is too young to really have that rivalry instilled in him. So I think I think he'd be okay with playing for the Chicago Bulls. There you go. Um, and then my final guy. This one's Just more of a. Yeah, this one's more of like a pipe dream kind of deal. I this is like I said, Oche. I don't think he'll be around. I definitely don't think this guy yeah. will be available when it comes to the 18th pick. But a man can dream. Yeah, I so say you're it's, different than me. I I just left my pipe dreams <laughs> off there because I thought there's no way Johnny Davis falls to 24. Oh, <laughs> Johnny Davis, of course not. But <laughs> Tari Eason is my pipe dream. Tari Eason is six foot eight forward. Out of LSU, um, seven foot two wingspan. This is a guy who, like, jumped up. Like, I mean, he was a transfer. He went from Cincinnati to LSU, um, and doing in doing that, he doubled his scoring average. He was able to get more playing time in LSU on another great team in a great conference. Um, complete like has overhauled his shot um, to make himself more. Um, effective from the outside he doesn't have a very like he's not the volume shooter that you look for in the nba uh modern day 36 percent though on four attempts like that's not that's not the worst so i'll take that and he does a lot more than that i mean he's extremely athletic lengthy um he is a ferocious defender also he is putting him out there with Caruso and ball and like even Patrick Williams and like a small ball lineup. Like that's, that's terrorizing for a lot of NBA offenses. Um, and I think he would be great. He was second in steals in the sec and he was a six man by the, like, may I add, he was, he was, he wasn't starting and he was still put up 17 points a game. Um, and he also had 36 blocks to go along with 64 steals. Like he is definitely a guy who is, going to come in and be an immediate um great defender in the nba that mark my words yeah so i don't um, know much but i've heard that's good 
Yeah. <laughs> he's no like like and again, same kind of thing with with Oche. Like he's not a playmaker or great like decision maker as of right now, but that comes with time. He'll definitely learn to become more and we won't even need him really to do that. Like I mentioned, there's other guys on the roster who are going to be the ones playmaking. This guy needs to go out um, and be kind of like Javante Green role last year where he's getting up. He's, you know, grabbing rebounds. He's getting in the face of the of the, of the offense, like blocking shots, getting steals, you know, in transition, going up for alley-oops. Like I think he could be a very exciting guy who could quickly turn into somebody who is very important to this bulls team um and kind of he the only thing is that he kind of is like would be a similar role to patrick williams so it does make you think like where does where do they fall when it comes to one another um but i will say he is already older than patrick williams so pat has that going for him um so yeah those are my three guys um any honorable mentions you had uh, uh, I think we said them both already, mostly unattainable ones. Uh, but the Notre Dame guy was the other one. Um, the other one, I, I, <clears throat> those, that's it. The Notre Dame guy, yeah. Blake. Yeah. My only other guy who I had in mind, um, I've talked about him before on here, I think, but Patrick Baldwin Jr. Oh um, yeah. That's a from good UW one. Milwaukee. A good one. He was preseason, like projected top 10, top seven pick. Um, and he, you know, dealt with some ankle injuries this season and was on a terrible roster at UWM. Um, but he has all of the makings to be a very good shooter in the NBA, 6'10, um, and has great range. So I definitely am, am looking at him as a possibility. Um, also in NBA news, just come through from Shams. The Mavericks are getting Christian Wood from the Rockets. Um, yeah, so uh, that is a, they're getting the they're sending the number twenty six overall pick to the Rockets along with a couple players in exchange for Christian Wood. So that's a nice pickup for the Mavericks. That was really <laughs> that's a really good move for them. I think their I think their lack of depth. Um, was exposed against the Warriors, which to be oh, fair, for sure. the Warriors do that against any team. <laughs> um, but that's that's a really really good uh, provides Lucas some help um, on on a team that 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 has the ability to contend for as long as Lucas on that roster and and that that time may be coming quick if they don't act. So go mm-hmm. go Mavs, go Mavs. Yeah, nice grab. Um, anything else to add before we roll out of here? No, just going to be praying for a good Brewer City Connect jersey and a good Milwaukee Bucks draft while I am jet-setting in Europe. Oh, yes. Evan will be out of the country. Um, So next week, anything big happening in the world of Chicago-Milwaukee sports, you'll be hearing from me. I say, be sure to tweet me any any fake leaks, any fake stories. You'll probably get me pretty good. Wi-Fi connection is spotty. So <laughs> he'll be I'll about six, seven hours ahead. So yeah, exactly. Um, but oh, thanks wait, everybody yeah, for listening. Seven hours ahead. Does that mean I know before you do who, who they draft? <laughs> Don't think that's how that works. Yeah, um, but like I said, thanks everybody for listening. We appreciate it. We love you guys. Um, you know where to find us, Twitter, Instagram. You can find us anywhere. You listen to podcasts. 
We are the War 94 Podcast. That's Evan. I am Frank. See ya. See ya. Please, please, good city. That's all I ask. That's all I beg for. <laughs>